The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, we've got Peanate and Pootie Tang. Do we still say Pootie Tang? Is that a name? I don't think we should anymore, right? I, I think that was just the. Uh, I think that was just our friends over at the Layman Cup who called you Pootie Tang, particularly yeah. Kemp. I, 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 I found it's very odd to introduce yourself. And I've before we did the Especially podcast, Pootie Tang. <laughs> Hello, I am Pootie Tang. My last name is terrible, for the record. <laughs> Let's just see if we can try to get people to. Everybody should call me Chuck O'Neill. I feel like that's a great name. I know that's your favorite name in the world, but if I have the option to call you what you want to be called or Poots, Pootie, Pootie Tang, I'm, I'm just going to choose Pootie. Darn it. Yeah. How you doing today? Uh, I, you know what? I'm doing great. Um, I, uh, I've actually been looking forward to this recording and, and what we're talking about today for a little while. Um, so yeah, I'm pumped about it. How you been? Still enjoying the summer? I'm loving the summer. The World Cup is wrapping up. Oh boy. Or has wrapped up by now, I guess would be the way. And I love the World Cup. I know it's so good. Sanctification's a process. <laughs> I I thought I thought you would be impressed that I had I had waited till the end of the World Cup to even mention That's it. That's true. That's true. So Hopefully. I feel great about it. So yeah. Um. So we uh, we are the Rebel Alliance, and we're not both soccer fans. So don't worry <laughs> if you are just now getting to know <laughs> all us. of our American <laughs> listeners. Just shut off the and be like, we're done. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you can find more about us at rebelalliancemedia.com. Um, probably most of you who are listening have been following the Rebel Alliance for a while. And so uh, what we wanted to uh, remind you of is that we've relaunched the website and we've brought in uh, just some, some new partners into the Rebel Alliance. So, um, so what you're listening to now, we're just referring to as the Rebel Podcast. We also have the Awakening Reformation Podcast who have kind of partnered with us, Grant and Erica. I hope you've been enjoying them. They're awesome. And they have, a, and he, Grant has a great mustache. Great mustache. It's going to be a sad day when he shaves that thing off. I hope he never does. I hope he never does too. They're, 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 he looks like he he looks way more like a dad than I do because the stash makes you a dad. Oh, 100 percent. You don't even. You look like you look like a like you look like a cross between somebody who would lead worship for Hillsong and a pastor. And whereas he looks like me, because <laughs> yeah, he wears tight jeans. <laughs> Oh. I can't believe you let me get yeah. that far before you yeah. got I'm going to get a text message from Tim Bailey rebuking me this week. That's Guaranteed. A, that's a total Guaranteed. joke. No, no, no. I, I agree. He does look more like a dad. because of the, It is the, because of the stash. And he's got that like perfectly quaffed flow yeah. on the top of his head. Yeah. I don't know how to say that anymore. Yeah. So those are our friends, Grant and Erica Van Brimmer over at the Awakening Reformation Podcast. Follow them on social media. Uh, you can find them on our site. 
and they have been blogging for us as well, along with Ben Emery and Andrew Emery, uh, all of these guys that we've gathered together and gals, sorry, Erica, um, that we've gathered together are, are just people who are passionate about God, passionate about his word, passionate about seeing his word transform the culture around us, engaging the culture and seeing the culture one um, through the power of the gospel and through the uh, transformative empowering empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So um, we're super excited about things that are going on at Rebel Alliance. Go and check out our website. Check out the Eschatology series. There's more stuff coming on. If there's specific things, we've got tons of feedback recently about the Eschatology series. Um, and so if there are more things like that that you would like to see, uh, we'd like to do more content like that. So, um, and and Dave doesn't do enough work for us. He does everything at Rebel Alliance <laughs> if you'd like to keep him busy. So he's looking for more stuff to edit. So he, He's retired and we just want to fill up all of his days yeah, yeah. because we don't believe in retirement. <laughs> and, and we don't want him to either. <laughs> we don't want him to be able to have any time to himself, you know, to like, just live the dream. Yeah, no, none of that. None of that. Otherwise, he'd start collecting seashells. So we need, we need to save him from that fate. Uh, so let us know other things that would help you engage culture with the biblical worldview, and we would love to uh, tackle that. Uh, but keep checking out the blogs. We love what uh, the Van Brimmers and the Emerys are doing there. Um, so such good stuff. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say is uh, right before we trans transfer move, transition, that's, there's the word I'm looking for, into Rebel News is um, is uh, find uh, all the social media stuff, specifically on Facebook. And, and what we'd love for you to do is just invite your friends to like the pages. Um, invite your friends to like the posts, like, like post these things on your thing. You can just go on our page where it says however many followers we have on Facebook and you can hit invite friends and and do that and and get your friends who you think should be listening to this podcast you think should be lit reading reading our blogs and watching our videos and all that kind of stuff uh, invite them to like it as well that's just one of the one of the most organic and helpful ways that you can help spread our content uh, okay so we're going to jump into rebel news and and here's the thing we we've kind of delayed talking about this because we kind of wanted to we were thinking about doing it in, in hindsight after the conference starts, but um, from the day you're listening to this, which is the 25th, um, the Revoice conference starts tomorrow. So the Revoice conference is in um, is in St. Louis, which uh, is where our friends, the two thieves, are situated. So, uh, Brent, you know, Justin and Brandon, I hope you're you're you know getting your signs ready and <laughs> to go ahead and pick it out front. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, you ought to be uh, engaged in this. And and I know they talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our friends over at Cross Politic, our uh, Awakening Reformation with Grant and Erica, they talked about it. So lots of people have been talking about this Revoice conference, and uh, and so in case you've been living under a rock or you don't follow any of our friends. Um, Revoice Conference is a conference in St. Louis. And here's kind of the tagline. Revoice 2018, supporting, encouraging, and empowering gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so they can flourish while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. That's kind of the, the purpose of the conference. And then there's kind of three purposes that are laid underneath that statement. And that is they want to create a new community. In other words, they say, gather together, this is all their words, gather together with other gender and sexual minorities and those who love them and experience a new kind of gospel community. Secondly, better conversations. Listen to, learn from, and participate in conversations with speakers who bring a nuanced perspective to the table of discussion. And number three, diverse collective. Benefit from curated presentations on a wide variety of topics related to LGBT experience and the historic Christian sexual ethic. 
So, I mean, there's all kinds of speakers here. Um, so uh, Covenant College is, uh, is kind of one of the main supporters of this. Um, and, uh, and the um, PCA, uh, though they have not officially endorsed it, that's the Presbyterian Church of America, though they haven't officially sponsored it, sorry, they are certainly endorsing it. They are certainly supportive of it. So a lot has been said a lot of ink spilled, as they say, uh, mostly blog posts and things like that. And I would just direct you to, um, and maybe we'll link this in the show notes, um, blog posts by uh, friends of the, the show that we've had on here, Toby Sumter, Doug Wilson. I think they've done a really good job at, uh, at voicing some of their concerns about the Revoice Conference. Yeah, um, Tim Challies has a good article on it too. Tim Challies does. So lots of things have been said. And we just want to say, because this is happening tomorrow, um, that one of the ways, because I imagine that this is going to drop like a bomb. And, and I think that this is going to get a lot of media coverage. I think there's, there's, there's going to be a lot going on here. And ultimately, what we want to say about it is this, this conference, we don't want to just say that we're not in favor of it. We want to say this is wicked. All right, this is, this is wicked. And the reason it's wicked is because 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes it very, very clear when he talks about homosexuals, and effeminate men, Malakoi, um, he says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. And this very tagline, it says, it talks about gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so that they can flourish. So these are a group of people who identify as gay Christians, yeah. lesbian Christians, same-sex attracted Christians, LGBT Christians. And, and some of them uphold a traditional view of marriage, meaning that, you know, and, and a lot of what you see in some of the speakers and some of the, uh, the workshops that they have going on talk about how to live a celibate lifestyle as a gay Christian and all that kind of stuff. So um, they, they've, they've drawn some lines, but the problem here is exactly what the grace of shame addresses. And so I'm, I'm just going to go out and say, if you have not read the grace of shame, you have to read the grace of shame by Tim Bailey, his son, Joseph Bailey. And uh, there's a third author who is involved as well, but you can find that on Warhorn media. And basically what he says, and, and this is kind of the, the, uh, the Trojan horse here is that they'll say things like, well, you can be a gay Christian. You can, you can identify as gay, identify as lesbian, identify as trans or whatever, but you can't just live out that lifestyle. And we would say, no, no, no. First Corinthians six does not allow you to do that because it not only says that homosexual practice gay sex is prohibited, but also the term malakoi, effeminacy, right? Jesus didn't just say, if you commit adultery, you're an adulterer. He says, if you commit adultery in your heart, meaning you look at a woman lustfully. And so what this is talking about is that you can, you can struggle through same-sex attraction. You can burn for, um, with lust for you know, the same sex, and yet you just don't act on it and you're, you're fine. Jesus says that's not true. He says if, you, if you're angry at your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So there, there are sins that start in the heart, and, and it's always a sin to identify yourself as anything other than a child of God. And so these people are trying to elevate the way they identify, the way they self-actualize over and above what God defines them as. And they're trying to live in this middle ground where they can identify as gay Christians, but just, but just modify some behavior. And that, go, that goes against the grain of the very gospel. Yeah, I think I, I'm, very, I'm very uncomfortable with this whole conference idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I find, I find it very interesting that every couple of years, there's like probably every 10 years or so, there's s- some movement or some 
book that comes out and it's all about a new conversation. It's all yeah. about a new way to look at these things. Yep. And I find it like the, the tagline for the revoice conference. One of the big things is come, come belong in a new conversation. And then if you go into the, like their actual things, it's like, it's a better conversation that this is better, right. better than what better than the word of God. That's been revealed <laughs> to us inherently through scripture. Right. No, that's not, that's not right. This isn't a new conversation. You met, you brought up first Corinthians first. Paul addresses this to the Corinthian church. This is addressed, addressed throughout scripture. This isn't a new conversation. This is sin and immorality that the church and people and Christians have been dealing with since the beginning. Yeah. This is, <laughs> there's a reason if you go back to Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed what yeah. was their what was their problem there? Sexual immorality. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's going to happen at Revoice. Like St. Louis is going to get nuked from God, but yeah. uh, I'm just saying like this isn't a new conversation. This is a an age old problem because we are corrupt people. Yeah. And the and the the solution to that isn't behavior modification, like you're saying. It isn't white knuckling it. And I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna give into these temptations, even though I feel them. No, the solution to it is to repent, believe the gospel. And let the Holy Spirit convict you and change you. Yeah. And if if you're if you're I don't know I there, there could be people who are same sex attracted listening to this podcast and I hope and I hope you are because I can we can steer you to people Roseanne Butterfield who yeah. used to live in a homosexual lifestyle now doesn't yeah. and because the gospel and Christ has healed her of that Jackie Hill Perry another person yeah. two people outspoken women who have who have been sucked into the lifestyle of les of LGBTQ who have been, who have overcome that and not overcome it in the, can I, I don't know if I can say this, but like in the flaccid kind of way, Sam Elberry has overcome it. You know what I mean? Like right. where he's like, I'm just going to, I just, I still feel it, but I just don't, I just don't act on it. No, they've overcome it. Now they both say they don't have any same sex attraction because God can heal you of that. Right. And I realize that's super controversial to say, yep. but it's the truth. Yeah. Just like God can heal me of my greed and of, of my gluttonous behavior. If you've seen any of our videos, you know, that's true. I can be healed of those things just as much as you can be healed of same sex attraction because it is a sin. Right. And, and there is a huge difference between living with the indwelling sin and accepting it and identifying with it, but, but trying not to practice it. That's behavior modification and actively trying to put it to death. And if you read any of the, the yeah, topics absolutely. or the, the keynote addresses or the workshops, none of them say anything about warring against the flesh. None of them say anything about, about putting to death you know, the desires that are within you. And, that, and that's the sort of language we would hope to hear from people who are same-sex attracted. Um, and, and so I just want to say, because um, you know, certain people that we actually look up to, like guys like, like Tim Keller, um, who have spoken in favor of, of this, um, guys like, um, uh, Phil Vischer, who, you know, our church is very Phil, pro Phil Vischer in, in some ways, you know, what's in the Bible is, is something that we've used for family night. He's done some great things. There's some stuff on right now media where yeah. he does family Bible studies through first John and Ephesians. We like Phil Vischer and a lot of the stuff he does, but on his podcast recently, he had on Preston Sprinkle, who's one of the keynote speakers here, along with uh, guys like Wesley Hill and Nate Collins, uh, who I think have just had a skewed view and have compromised too much 
in terms of sexual ethics. And and the, the Bible is very, the, the Bible uses terms like sodomy, abomination. It, it uses these terms. It, it, this is a sexual perversion. And so, and so I would just challenge anybody who's been caught up in the, you know, the Phil Vishers and the Preston Sprinkles talking about these sorts of things in favorable ways. I would just challenge you and say, can you do that with any other sexual sin in the Bible? Right? What what if there was a conference for all of those who struggled with bestiality or pedophilia? No, seriously, but those those I, I things know, are condemned funny. alongside homosexuality in the Bible, which means that you you have to you have to put them on the same level if the Bible does. And and so you can't say, you know, we just want to create a new community for for adulterous Christians to come together and and have new conversations. Like what if we said that? We can't say that because that's not accepted, but in our culture, we're being pressured to bend the knee to the LGBT agenda, and many Christians are doing it. We would just say, don't. Yeah, exactly. You, you think, just think practically for a second. If, if you're in a church setting, a church leadership, church ministry, and you become aware of somebody who's in an adulterous relationship in your church, in your church who's a member of your church— would you continue to let that person serve in the ministry that they're doing? Yeah. Very unlikely that that would happen yeah. in in most evangelical yeah. churches that yeah. I've been And not that about. it disqualifies them forever, but, no, no, but, but they need to step in, down for a sign while they put to death the deeds of the flesh, as the exactly. Bible commands us to do. Exactly. Whereas this this agenda, it's trying to rechange the conversation. I it's find it funny they even call it revoice. Yeah. They're trying to change the verbiage and the yeah. and what how we think of this to think that this is a different type of sin. And the Bible doesn't, like you said, it doesn't it doesn't disassociate this from other sins. Yeah. It actually yeah. in, in fact it, it it pushes it even further. Yeah, it actually it, read Romans one, right? This is um, homosexuality and celebrating homosexuality is actually the result of a of a um, a, a slow decline, uh, an amplification of sin as we continue to reject God. According to Romans one, it actually becomes the result of God giving us over to a debased mind yeah. and unnatural passions. So I would just uh, there's there's one resource that I would recommend. Well, there's the two. There's the Grace of Shame Grace by Shame. Tim Bailey. Read that book. Every pastor must read that book, and most Christians ought to read that book. Um, the other thing I would just say, our, our friends over at Warhorn Media, uh, they do podcasts like The Sound of Sanity and Practical Ecclesiology, which I listen to often, love them. Um, they did a sermon, or they did a podcast series called The World We Made. They're airing season two right now, which is all about fatherhood. It's phenomenal as well. But, but The World We Made season one is all about homosexuality. And they interviewed Tim Bailey. It's, I think it's eight episodes or something like that. Each one's only about 15 or 20 minutes long. Um, it's it's one of the most important podcast series out there. And I, I, I'm prone to hyperbole, but, <laughs> but I'm not hyperbolizing when I say that. It, it's phenomenal. So I would just I would recommend Grace of Shame and go on to Warhorn Media and find um, The World We Made Season 1. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I just want to say, yep. I just as a side note, if you, if re, if Revoice is happening next year and you guys want the rebels to go to it, feel free to just donate on the website, and we'll go <laughs> direct we'll just, the donation. We'll just chirp the whole way through it. <laughs> just that was more of a joke. We'll do, we'll do one of those like debunk videos where <laughs> yeah. you just like pop. Yeah, totally. I just all of a sudden thought that would have been a great, great content. I think. Um, okay, so we are going to jump into a uh, a break here, and when we come back, we're actually going to finish off this series of engaging the culture with the fruit of the spirit. And interestingly. Um, 
um, and, and providentially, um, we're talking about love today. And one of the things at the Revoice Conference and, and much of the agenda being pushed against is, you know, um, uh, they get where they are because they've redefined what love is. So we're going to talk about love and faithfulness today as fruits of the spirit that we need and are absolutely vital in terms of uh, engaging the culture. Can't wait. What is love? Welcome back, um, back into our fifth, fourth and final episode, I guess, of this mini-series, as we say, about the fruits of the Spirit and how to engage culture with the, the fruits of the Spirit. We think this is really important to discuss because we talk all the time about how to engage culture with worldview and how to think on it in, how to think about certain situations, but we, to the best of my knowledge, we don't always talk about how to engage it with just the way we are. Yeah, you know I mean, and the way Christ has made us, the way we're conforming to the image of the Sun. Yeah, and so today we often I talk about how to think about particular things going on in culture. I think that helps equip people. But yeah, um, this is about cultivating um, fruits of the spirit, which are part of our everyday lives, and and making sure we bring those things in with us while we're engaging the culture. Exactly, and so we frame this whole series around Galatians five, um, the idea. Uh, basically verses 22 and 23, but I'll start in verse 18. Um, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, drunkenness orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Big warning there, I always think, eh? Yeah, Every absolutely. Time I read that, I... Absolutely. But, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, thing, such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it's, I mean, even just verse 24 there that you just read, like I, we were just talking about revoice before the break and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, right? Um, but today what we're talking about specifically is two fruits of the spirit that, that you just read, and that is love and faithfulness. And, and we're going to show how we think those go together, but we're going to start with love because one of the things that we, we wholeheartedly believe is that we define love totally improperly in our culture mm. and and the the way that the culture has defined improperly defined love has bled into christian thinking has bled into the church so in the culture we've defined love as um unequivocal acceptance right tolerance so love is either 
unquestioned tolerance, acceptance, and celebration of whatever. Like, so, so each and every person, you do not love someone unless you unquestioningly accept them for exactly who they are and what they do. That's, that's what we've defined love as. So love equals tolerance in our culture. And I think that's just such a bad definition of love. And as Christians, we've bought into this lie. So we'll say things like, you know, um, and, and I've been accused of this even at, at our church. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago at our church, um, I was told that it was unloving for me to condemn homosexuality from the pulpit because we have we have some people in our church who, who might struggle in that particular way. So... We, so what does that mean? It's unloving for us to declare what the Bible says. No, what they mean by that is it's unloving of us to proclaim the truth about God because we were not tolerating someone else's preferences, someone else's desires, somebody else's, in this case, sin. Yeah. We we, we have a just complete backwards view of what love is. Yeah. We think of love as like you said, tolerance. We think of love as an emotion. We think we get our definition of love from a Hallmark card. Yep. We get our definition of love from a sentiment that, that I, I appreciate, but I, but when we actually think about the practicalities of it, aren't true. It's the sentiment of like, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, I'm going to love you. And we think about that. We all, our parents have probably all said that to us at some time. And the way they mean it, we agree with, but what they're actually saying isn't, isn't necessarily what we would affirm. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept you no matter what, because what's not said in that statement is that I'm still going to discipline you. I'm still going to challenge you to be a better person than I am. You know right. what I mean? Because um, those things aren't said in that statement, but that's Im- implication. But that idea that that's what we think love is, is un- unequivocal acceptance and celebration of who yeah. this person is. Who this person there's is. a there's a anti spanking bill uh, on the uh, on the table in the House of Commons in Canada right now. Uh, talking, yeah, and uh, and interestingly, some of the language that you've heard in the debates in the House of Commons is about how loving parents shouldn't be hurting their children. And it's so interesting, like, I agree with that, depending on what you mean by hurt. But what they mean in this context is loving parents shouldn't spank their kids, because to spank is to be unloving. And what's interesting is that the Bible actually says, if you spare the rod, you hate your child, right? So the Bible actually shows that discipline is part of love. Hebrews 12 talks about how when God disciplines us, it's actually him showing love for us because he's treating us as sons. And it says, what son doesn't want to train up his child? And so the whole point is that part of love is discipline. Like part of love is training. Part of love is saying, no, not that way, but this way. And so one of the things that we've completely lost in, in, in our cultural landscape is the idea that I love you enough not to accept you the way you are. And there's a difference between loving somebody despite who they are. Like um, I, I heard it said one time, and I actually thought the, it was interesting. It said, uh, we like because and we love despite. And I thought that was interesting because so I can love somebody despite the fact that they might do things, they might be things that I disagree with. But part of my love isn't just tolerance and just isn't just acceptance. I actually love them enough to turn them in the opposite direction. I love my daughter Quinn enough that as she displays fits of anger and envy and jealousy and some of the works of the flesh that we just read from Galatians 5, I love her enough to discipline that out of her, to, to, to show her that that's not right. So through timeouts and through talking tos and through spanking, if and when necessary, I love her enough to train her in the right, in the right way. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, 
it's funny. It's one of these things that we, we accept this mentality of love when we don't call it love in all other aspects of our lives in your employment. Right. If you're doing a bad job, you expect your boss to correct how you behave. Right. You expect that. And we all accept that, but we wouldn't call that love that, that, but that is our employee, our employer loving, loving us enough, valuing us as an employee enough to correct our behavior rather than just fire us rather than just in essence, in, in the analogy, just kill us. You know what I mean? Um, but we do, we do it in sports. If you need another analogy, we all had that, we all had that coach or that, um, teacher who was hard on us. And what do they do? They, they broke us of bad habits. They trained us up in the right way to do things, the right way to tackle the right way to kick a soccer ball, the right way to hit a baseball, the right way to do all these things. And they did that. They trained us those way. Why? Because they wanted us to do it right. That is, that's a, an, an analogy of how God's love works. It's, it's training us to be the, to do it right rather than just being, Oh, he throws with both of his hands, the softball. That doesn't make any sense. Right. It's like, it's not just saying that's okay. It's about fixing it to make it right because there's a better way. Yeah, absolutely. So so if, if that's what love isn't, if love isn't merely, and I, I want to talk for a second. So, so love isn't just blind tolerance or blind acceptance. The other thing love isn't is just a feeling, right? And this is part of the problem. Ever since, ever since uh, we've um, uh, legalized no-fault divorce, um, we've, we've viewed love as something that you can fall in and fall out of, right? That you can... You can um, that love has become just this feeling and, and movies and Hallmark cards and all that kind of stuff. They're bad at this too, because they talk about the, the romantic feelings that somebody feels for somebody. And, and the truth is like, we know enough about science now to know what endorphins are, to know like what sexual chemistry is, what tension is, the excitement of the chase, like all those kinds of (laughs) things that honestly that, that do wear off once a relationship is, is in and, and, and like, you know, Believe me, like when when a colicky child is screaming at midnight, you know, there, there aren't a whole lot of feelings of love and affection for your spouse or for the child that you're caring for. But love is so much more than just a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is a covenant. It's all of those things. So love isn't just blind acceptance and tolerance, and it isn't just emotions that come and go or feelings that come and go. It's interesting, actually, in... Um, in, in the Greek understanding of things, um, feelings, so we always say, like, I love you with all my heart, right? Or we talk about feelings as, as coming from the heart. Hallmark has really capitalized on this through things like Valentine's Day. Um, but in the Greek understanding of things, it's interesting that, like, um, love comes from the heart, but the, the heart was actually the mind in Greek thinking. Um, the, the heart was the, the control panel where your deepest convictions and commitments come from. They equated feelings and emotions with the bowels. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, just, just like, you know, the, the, the feeling, you know, the feeling that you get, queasiness in your stomach and all those kinds of things that, that go along with the emotions of, of fear and excitement and all that kind of stuff. They equated that feelings with the bowels, but the heart was the mind. It was the control panel of, of so, so love was more than a feeling. It was a, a mental commitment. It was a strong, deep-seated commi- uh, conviction. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the, the more biblical view. There's a book I'd recommend to anybody. It's, it's from C.S. Lewis. It's called The Four Loves. And so as we're looking at, what, well, if those are the things that love isn't, what is love? And C.S. Lewis de- defines these four loves. It's four different uh, Greek words that are taken um, from, uh, from the Bible. 
Um, there's eros, which is where we get like the word erotic. It's uh, it's the that romantic love where lovers literally are hungry for one another. There's phylos, which is friendship, where two people are linked arm in arm or shoulder to shoulder, uh, where they have common goals and they delight in partnership and building and putting things together. Um, there's storge, which is uh, affection that one might have for like um, things like inanimate objects. And then of course there's agape love, which many of us know, which is, um, the, uh, it's a divine love characterized by sacrifice and the pursuit of someone else's good. So there are different types of love. Um, so when we're talking about love, we have to say, okay, well, which kind of love are we going to define? I've, I've been really helped by Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards basically boils the, uh, love down to there are two types of love and he calls them the love of complacency and the love of benevolence. So the love of complacency would be love that you have for something because of its qualities. Okay. So you could say like, you know, you and I. I love steak, right? <laughs> and so we love steak. We like steak because we find ourselves pleased by the qualities of steak. Yeah, we delight in its taste. We, we, we delight, delight the, that's yeah. right, in its taste and its texture and its rareness and its bloodiness <laughs> and the way it makes me feel and sleep afterwards, you know, all of those kinds of things. So love of complacency is the love of something because of its qualities. And then there's the other kind of love that uh, Jonathan Edwards talks about is the love of benevolence. And, and that is the love um, of something um, not based on the loveliness of the object, but rather the goodwill of the, of the one loving, right? So um, your goodwill towards a person or a thing that you are loving. Your aim in that kind of love is to do good, to bring about something beautiful, uh, not simply responding to beauty, right? So these are these two kinds of loves. We can love something because of the qualities that it has, but then we can also love something because of our own benevolence, our own goodness in some sense, um, wanting to show love. So, so part of the problem is when you think about why the divorce rate is so high in our, in our culture and things like that, it's because the only kind of love that we know is the love of complacency. It's, it's we love something for the things that we like about it. Yeah. So as what you know, it gives us, what it, what we take from it. Yeah, exactly. And so, so because our, you know, our, our, our spouse's body changes because there are roles change, you know, as we have kids, as we get old and wrinkly, you know, all those kinds of things, we, we fall out of love for somebody because the qualities that we loved about them have changed and therefore we don't love them anymore. But, but love has to be a combination of those two things. It also has to be the, the love of benevolence, which is the love that God modeled to us in sending Christ. He loved us not because of all the good qualities that was, were in us, but in fact, despite the bad qualities that were in us. This is why Romans 5 verse 8 says, God loved us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? It goes on to say that one would scarcely die for a righteous man, but it goes on to say, but like God loves his, his he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Uh, Ephesians 2 says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. Um, so, so those are, uh, I think, a, a really helpful way to think about love, that love is not just the love of the qualities of something that we're admiring about it. And, and, and love is a response to beauty, right? We, you know, this is why when I do marriage counseling, I do, I do talk about the, um, the importance of physical attraction and, and all that kind of stuff, but that's not paramount. That's not the love that supersedes. The love that supersedes is the love of benevolence, which is the love modeled to us by God in Christ. Yeah, exactly. When, when we start thinking about how this applies 
to to your life. It's important to like I love I love the fact that you pointed out that love love is a choice. It is something that you you have to work on. It isn't just I'm overcome with emotions. Um, when we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, you coming back from district conference, one of the things that I was I thought of when you were talking about it is like the idea of being overwhelmed and just being carried away with yeah. this wave. That's not that's not the biblical view of love. No. The biblical view of love is is thinking choices. It's it's purposeful action because the the Bible defines defines love a lot as obedience. Yeah, like totally. I love I love you enough to obey what you ask me to do. Yeah. I love you enough to submit to you. I love you enough to accept your your gentleness and your and your disposition towards me and to trust it and to be faithful to it um all of those things are how we display love back back to god and back to our society and then if we think about that practically the bible has a lot to say about how we love each other and none of it is be overcome with emotions none of it is like fall deeply head over heels yeah none of it says out of control any of that kind of stuff exactly right what does it say it says be sacrificial greater love greater love has no one other than this lay down your life for a friend. You right. know I mean, like people naturally think, oh yeah, the greatest thing I can do is, is dive in front of a car and take a bullet for Nate. Well, yeah, but it also like those things can be laying down your life, putting your wants secondary to your spouse's wants. That's how you be a good husband. That's how you, right. that's how you earn the respect that we crave. Right. right. Um, being sacrificial, serving your church, serving your neighbors. The Bible talks very all the time about love your neighbor as yourself. We all know that verse. Love your love the Lord God of your heart with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do you love your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? You love your enemies, right? You know what I mean? You because oftentimes good, they're the same. <laughs> they, they likely yeah, yeah. are, uh, but no, you do that by what's the very next love? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Yeah, you know what I mean. So do good to them. So that can, that can lead to do two different things. One speaking truth to them. Yeah. You love them enough to not be okay with the fact that they're on a, on a pathway to, to, to damnation. You love them enough to tell them. Right. Also means just in general, like you said earlier, meeting their needs. You see, Oh, you have a, you have a neighbor who's an old lady who can't carry her garbage, carry her garbage. Yeah. I mean, Take that physical burden away. It's just little things like that is how you, how you display this to the culture around you. Right. And I think that, um, so one of the ways that we, like you said, we have to display this to the culture around us is to, to model the different kind of love, right? Mm -hmm. So when they're calling for blind acceptance, blind tolerance, um, we show that other kind of love where we love not because of the qualities that we are admiring in the other person. That's, you, you can't love your enemy by admiring the good things about them. You love your enemy because God tells you to love your enemy. And as you love your enemy, you are loving because God first loved you. So it's that second kind of love, the love of benevolence, not the love of complacency that call, that caused you to, to love your neighbor or love your enemy rather. And um, what what's interesting is that, you know, like you said, speaking truth to somebody is is not to, and, and, and we do this. So one of the ways we think that we're loving somebody is by trying to change them. And all we're really doing, that's, that's still just loving them 
um, the first kind of right, love of complacency. So we're trying to instill in them the kinds of qualities that we would love about them. <laughs> and, and so we, we can't do that either. We have to recognize that the only person who can change a heart is God. Mm. And so the only way we can truly love somebody is not to conform them to our image, not to make them look like us or, or look like what we want them to do. But we actually have to want what's best for them. And so this is where sometimes Christian love, specifically in engaging the culture, cannot look like or doesn't look like love to the world. Because ultimately, love calls sinners to repentance. Yes. Love calls people to a standard of righteousness. Love um, is, is preaching the gospel. And so if, that's, if, that, if, if we truly believe that that's a standard of love, then, then we must do that and show that love out of love of benevolence because God did that for us first. Because, and, and, and the motivation to do that and the enthusiasm to do that and the empowering to do that comes from the recognition that this is the kind of love that God showed us while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, while there was nothing good in us. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's why we would say it's loving when you pick it an abortion clinic. Yes. Where like that you can do that in a gentle way, like we said last week. There's yep. there's a there's right still self control, exactly. gentleness, kindness, all the stuff we've already talked about. Exactly. There's there's a right and proper way to do that, but it's still loving to 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 say that sin, Amen. to combat it. That's still a loving thing. We would affirm Jeff Durbin and his end abortion now movement. Even though it's very, it's very poignant to the to yeah. the, what the problem is, but they are doing it because that is real love to the babies and to the mothers, like yeah. that are doing this. It's the way that we're showing godly love to those people. There's um, a there's a book um, there's a book by Doug Wilson called The Serrated Edge, and he talks about how you know specifically in his writing, and and if you read a lot of his blog posts, they're they're pointed like that as well. There, there's a there's a kind of way to wield the word of God that cuts, but that that is love, and and he does a good job at showing that. Yeah. I think a couple of weeks ago you, you brought up the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. Yeah. And that's a great, that's a great example of what we're kind of describing here is that Jesus showed her love, but he still, he still called her on all of her, all of her sin. And he was like, how many wives, how many husbands have you had? Yeah. Um, he still, he still publicly, publicly, publicly yeah, basically shamed her, but he did it. He did it with gentleness and he did it with humility, but he still showed her the real, the real type of love, which is, repent and turn and turn away like and and you see she goes and then tells everybody what god has done for her. um and i think that's i think that's something we've <clears throat> we often say we get wrong we've lost in our culture we've lost the idea that we're not being loving to the lgbt community by doing a revoice conference right by trying to change the narrative around it to say oh no no we're all we're all pro this now just as long as you don't do these things the loving thing would be to do would be to bring everybody in and tell them why it's wrong. Right. You know what I mean? And then be willing to lay down your life to walk them through basically teaching them what the Bible says, building them up as disciples. Right. And so the, the, the place we want to go with that. And as we kind of come to a, um, the last seg, the last part of this is, um, you said it earlier, you said that, that love is obedience. And, and so that's where we want to go here. First John actually says that if you love me, you will obey my commands. So biblically, love is defined as obedience. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And I mean, what's so amazing about God's love for us is that I, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36, and it's talking about the new covenant when God says, 
I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to obey my command. So he loves us enough to put the obedience in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is amazing. But um, so he says, if you love me, you will obey my command. So love is obedience. And that's where the, this idea of faithfulness comes in, right? So how do we display love? It's, it's not just speaking truth as we've been talking about, yep. but that, though that's a big, big part of it. Um, and it's not just showing love for our enemies because the love we have to display is not just complacent love, as, as Edwards would say, but benevolent love. So it is all that stuff that we've just talked about. But it's also faithfulness. It's, it's faithfulness and obedience to the commands of God. And so one of the ways, like, like we said, we are, we are equipping you to engage culture with biblical worldview. And one of the things I never want us to lose on, on, on this show, in this ministry, is that Cultural engagement isn't just controversial posts on Facebook. Sometimes it's that. It's it's not just confronting evil in the church and in our lives where we see it, though sometimes it is that. It's not just being bold and courageous in our workplace, though sometimes it is that. Another way to engage culture, and the primary way that we engage culture, is just through regular Christian faithfulness. Yeah. that's Because that's what love looks like. All of, all of those other things are the fruit of regular Christian obedience. Amen. Absolutely. You're, we're called first and foremost to live a very obedient, normal life. Yes. Anything that happens subsequent to that is the fruits of us being faithful in our in our daily lives, right? That's right. So how do we engage the culture with love, which is obedience to the commands of God? Be a faithful husband. Be a faithful wife. Be a, be a faithful father and mother. Be a faithful church member, right? So, so love your, your wife as you love yourself. Love your wife sacrificially or submit to your husband and respect your husband or train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Teach them to obey God's commands. Um, be a good employee, arrive at work on time, do your work diligently, don't steal time from your employers, be a good church member, love people in your congregation, tithe, submit to your church leaders. Mm. Like this is what faithfulness looks like and this is ultimately how we engage culture. Yeah, John Jump, Jump Piper says, if you, if you wanna see what somebody loves, look at their lives and where they put their time, where Absolutely. they put their money, where they put their abilities. All of the, all of the, their efforts basically is a way yeah. I, when you look at somebody's life and you see where their efforts are going, you will see what they love. So let's be people who, when our neighbors look at us and like, and look at our lives, when our friends who aren't believers look at our lives, they see what we truly value is Christ and is the church. Let our lives look different. Let, um, I think, I think we see this too often. We see people who are Christians because we know they're Christians because they come to church on Sunday, but their lives look no different through Monday through Saturday than the rest of the world. Right. And that, and I don't think that's a biblical picture of Christianity at all. I think when you look at the church in Acts, I think when you look at the early church, there was a very big cultural divide between how, the people who were following Christ enough so that it was that they were able in the church in Antioch to name them something different. Right. They decided to call yeah, them something Christians, different. Little Christ. <laughs> exactly. They they chose to make a name for how these people were living. Right. Um, and I think that's I think that's something we need to cultivate in our in our lives. And and you can do that by all those individual, like you're saying, all those private things. You don't have to be you don't have to be a Facebook warrior. We encourage you to be so, but yep. you don't have to be doing those things until that becomes a thing that you're doing. It, it's the daily 
living out of your faith in the everyday that will lead to people seeing your faithfulness because people will start to see where your heart and your treasure is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so so the 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 fact that your you know your life is contrasted to the lives of of the the sinners that you surround yourself with, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the people the people who live in your neighborhood and work at your work, their marriages are falling apart and yours isn't because you're a faithful, loving husband, because you're a faithful, respectful wife, because you are, are a good father and a good mother. Your, your children aren't going off the rails. And, and that's not to say that when you become a Christian, all things are easy. Like, you, you know, you're still going to argue. Your kids are like, you're still going to get diagnosed with cancer, all those things. This isn't a prosperity gospel. But what, we're, what we're saying is that um, obedience to God's word produces spiritual blessings in your lives that ought to contrast the lives of the people around you. And so they come to you when their marriage is in shambles. They come to you when their kids are going off the rails because your marriage and your family look different and are displaying these fruits of the spirit. You, they, they see what actual love looks like. And so they come in and say, I don't understand. I loved my kids. And you're like, well, not really. You say it nicer than this, but you say not, not really because love isn't blind acceptance. Love is benevolent love, obe- obedience to God's word, all of those things that we've talked about in this episode. So that's what faithfulness looks like, and that's how it ties into love, and that's how we engage the culture, just by everyday Christian obedience. Absolutely. Um, Anything else you wanted to tag on to this as we wrap this series up? No, we just I, I would just like to say, I, I again, we continue to get an influx of people who send us messages on Facebook, who retweet us, who share what we, what we post, and we just continue to encourage you guys to do that. Again, not for any glory for ourselves, but because we want the message of the gospel, the glory of God to be supreme on Facebook, supreme on Twitter, supreme on Instagram. And we want to see the gospel spread. And this is a platform that we've chosen to use that. So we continue to thank you guys for your support. Um, so continue to do that. Um, if you like what you heard today, continue to share that on Facebook, like we said. And uh, give a give a listen out to the Awakening Reformation podcast if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. You have uh, partnered with us, I guess would be the right way to say yeah. it, in this uh, new venture of the Rebel Alliance Media. Check them out. It's Grant and Eric, Erica Van Brimmer. They're fantastic. I listen to their show basically every week when I'm cutting the grass. I love it. Um, Have a great one, guys. See you.